1: We're starting a brand new week here on Political Rewind. It's the final week of early voting. Early voting ends uh, at the end of the day on Friday. And then next Tuesday is what I've come to call the last day of voting. It's actually Election Day. So far, 1.6-plus million people have uh, cast early ballots. But this week, campaigns are going to get more and more intense. We had Barack Obama, former President Obama, in town on Friday for... Uh, Abrams and Warnock, uh, Vice President, former Vice President Pence comes in uh, tomorrow to campaign with Brian Kemp. But uh, I want to start the show today when I introduce the panel uh, by talking about last night's debate between Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp. And I I really want to give um, all credit to uh, WSB-TV it was a substantial debate. The panelists stayed out of the way. They asked a few questions, but uh, they were very open to letting uh, Kemp and Abrams go back and forth. And I think as a result of that, uh, voters who had not been paying as much attention uh, really got a sense of where each of those two wanted to take the state uh, in the four years ahead. So I, I really uh, uh, was delighted with my former uh, uh, news Home WSB-TV last night, and I, and I hope the panelists feel the same way. All right, let's introduce them. It's Monday, which means my partner from the AJC is uh, Patricia Murphy, who, uh, of course, still continues as a reporter of politics for the newspaper, but also writes the Political Insider column that appears in on Wednesdays and Sundays in the newspaper. And Patricia, of course, you oversee uh uh, the uh, jolt, the, a great uh, summary of the day's political news at ajc.com. Welcome, uh, Patricia, and you have youngsters at home. Happy Halloween.
2: Thank you, Bill. Yes, this is my week where we have two, we have double birthdays, Halloween, Election oh. Day. It's just some wonderful <laughs> twist of fate testing my moral character. Um, <laughs> but thank right. you so very nice quickly.
1: Very quickly, what are your children dressing as for Halloween?
2: Oh, my son curiously is going as a member of a SWAT team with his best pal. I think his best pal came up with the idea, and then my daughter is going as a, um, a skeleton cheerleader. That was also cooked up with pals. So we've entered this phase of you know being a pumpkin and a teddy bear. We're we're past those days, which is too bad. But we're
1: well, as long as it. we start. As long as we're starting with the uh, moms with children on the panel, let's introduce Karen Owen next. You know Karen Owen is a professor of political science and a dean at the University of West Georgia. Thanks for being here, Karen. We're, your schedule is so busy now that you're an administrator. Uh, we don't get to see you quite as often, and we're really happy to have you here today. Tell us about your children.
3: Well, I'm glad to be back on. And yes, we I have a nine-year-old who's going as the classic witch with her broom, and now she has a spell book that she'll be taking along with her. And then my son is going to be Sherlock Holmes, the detective.
1: <laughs> well, I'm very impressed with the idea of a spell book and a young boy being Sherlock Holmes. That's wonderful. All right. Um, Michael Thurman is back with us as well. Michael, we're really glad to have you here on the show today, too. Michael, of course, is the chair, the CEO of DeKalb County, Uh, and has served in public office in Georgia for most of his long, long life. Hi, Mike. Good morning, Bill. Boy, I miss those Halloween costumes at my house. (laughs) Well, uh, we're going to get you talking about politics instead of Halloween in a couple minutes. So we're very happy to have back the former Attorney General of the state of Georgia, Sam Olin. Sam, how are you today?
4: Doing very well, Bill, and uh, and like Mike, uh, my kids are too old to be trick or treating.
1: Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, we're way past that. All right, let's get down to serious business uh, today. Um, the debate last night between Abrams and Kemp. Um, what I'd like to do, very in a, in a sort of a brief uh, a time frame, is ask each of you just for your general thoughts on what you saw uh, as you watched the debate uh, last night. Uh, Patricia?
2: Yes, yeah, so I think that uh, Stacey Abrams had a really strong debate specifically because of the length of time that the panelists let the conversations go about both abortion and gun safety. Those are the two areas where Democrats really believe they will bring voters over to their side. And she was able to really make her case over and over um, that uh, what we know from polls, she's on the same side of these issues as most Georgia voters. And so I think that could activate some voters who already agreed with her that maybe they saw a reason to really go out and vote for her as well. She had um, a couple of big mistakes that I'm sure we'll hear about as well. Um, Kemp, I think, was steady as always. He is extremely consistent everywhere we see him. And last
1: night was no exception. Sam uh, Olin's, your thoughts.
4: Well, I think Stacy had a very good debate. I think the problem for Stacey is this is a national election and uh, we've seen that abortion um, has really gone down uh, in the list of priorities and that the economy um, and crime uh, and then immigration are, frankly, much more on the minds of Georgians as well as folks in many other states. So while um, Patricia's right that many Georgians agree with Stacy on abortion and a couple other issues, uh, those aren't the issues that are one, two, and three on the voters' minds.
1: Yeah. Karen Owen, weigh in, please.
3: So I think when I first started last night, it seemed like both candidates were very staged, polished, stuck to messaging. And then it turned to them allowing the voters to really hear how distinct they are on policy issues. And we saw that clearly um, play out where they were given more time to explain how they are different from one another. I think interesting for me at the end is here we are eight days from the election and it's now focused on getting your people to the polls. You've got to get them turned out. And I didn't see from either candidate this real buzz of energy. What it looked like was, oh my goodness, we have eight days left and I am tired. And instead of like the feel of uh, get me going, let me energize, we just didn't have that. It seems like there's the whole season of campaigning is wearing on both candidates, truly.
1: You know, that's a really interesting observation. And Michael Thurman, I want to give you a chance, but, but very quickly to uh, support what uh, Karen said, I hadn't thought about it. But um, while both of them were very articulate in laying out where they stand on issues, Karen's really kind of right. There wasn't a lot of big energy behind either of them um, to uh, maybe encourage voters to turn out. Michael Thurman? Well,
5: Dr. Owen makes a great point. People are tired. The candidates are tired. I've been there. I know Sam Owens has been there. It's been an exhausting campaign in an even more exhausting environment with inflation and three years almost of a pandemic. But in the end, I think Governor Kemp uh, attempted not to create, commit any major gaps or mistakes Uh, if, and I'm sure he believes the public polling and maybe his internal polling that gives him a lead. He didn't want to create anything that might undermine that, what he believes. And I think uh, Stacey Abrams did what she had to do. She doubled down on trying to get her base voters out. Uh, she knows that if he is behind, if that's to be believed, then the way to overcome that is to increase turnout beyond what's being predicted in the public polling.
1: All right. Um, each candidate had really good moments and not very good moments. One of them's already been uh, referred to. Let, let's start with what um, I think everyone would basically agree, or those who believe in choice, would agree, was a strong moment for Stacey Abrams. Um, Richard Elliott, Channel 2 News political reporter, asked Brian Kemp, are you or are you not definitively going to work, if you're reelected, for even more restrictive abortion laws? Here's what he said, and then Stacey Abrams responds.
6: Well, I'm not going to count on, you know, say yes or no to any specific piece of legislation would actually seeing exactly uh, what it's doing. It's not my desire to go move the needle any further uh, on this issue. We've been dealing with this issue for three years. That's where the General Assembly was. I personally don't see a need to go back. But when you're governor, you have to deal with all kind of legislative issues that are out there. So we'll look at those when the time comes. So
0: let's be clear. He did not say he wouldn't. But more importantly, he refuses to protect us. He refuses to defend us and yet he defended herschel walker saying that he didn't want to be involved in the personal life of his running mate but he doesn't mind being involved in the personal lives and the personal medical choices of women in georgia
1: patricia it strikes me that um if Stacey abrams does have hopes that abortion will motivate people to get out there and vote for her uh, uh, governor kemp gave them gave her an opening for that Uh, last night. He started out in one direction and then ended up saying, well, I'll see what the legislature would bring me.
2: Yeah, he said, you know, it's not my personal desire to go back in there, but we'll see what happens. Um, uh, We know that Republicans do want more restrictions. Some Republicans, the most conservative, um, are looking at um, possibly eliminating uh, uh, that grace period, that six-week ban, and go to a total ban altogether. Could there be efforts to eliminate um, the exceptions that are built in there for rape and incest if a woman files a police report? And a Democrats' warning to voters has been, Republicans want more. This isn't over. And so Brian Kemp, although he has said he doesn't want more, he did not close the door on that. And so I think that left it open. Um, At the same time, Abrams did not specify on her own a weak limit where she would be comfortable with a limit. And so we know that Georgia voters are somewhere between those two candidates, um, but where are they going to come out? Um, One quick point, I thought it was really interesting that Governor Kemp talked about Marty Kemp's miscarriage. We've never heard him talk about that publicly. And that's a way for him to push back on Democrats who say, listen, this is all men who have no clue about what it's like to experience miscarriage. And this is him saying for the first time, I do know what that is. I don't understand it completely, but I've been there. And um, so I think that helped him paint himself as more relatable and somebody who is emotionally connected to this, even if
1: he disagrees with most Georgians on this bill. Karen, and then Sam Olin's.
3: I will say that for the Democrats, abortion is a very important issue, and it was certainly at the height of conversation in the summer right after the Dobbs decision. I think what we're seeing right now, though, is kind of voters aren't paying quite as much attention to that issue as they are some others right before election time. It doesn't mean that it's still not very important for that certain voter out there who this is an issue they care most deeply about. For both of the candidates, though, I think it was really interesting how Governor Kemp talked about what the General Assembly will do. And I'd like to remind, you know, listeners that it's those state legislative races that will have an impact because it's what those members will decide in the legislation. Will they go back in, like Patricia mentioned, some Republicans and want more restrictions? Or will there be, or sometimes we've seen our speaker, moderate on some social issues and not allow some more restrictive measures to come in? So I think, you know, the governor saying on on that line is what will the legislature present to me. Whereas Abrams did talk about too in the fact that if she is governor and the Republicans are controlling the General Assembly, how is she going to actually get legislation passed to ensure women are protected and have their choice and right?
1: Well, we should say that her point last night in regard to that was since that initial law only passed by three votes, she's convinced as governor that she could. Uh, rally the votes needed to overturn the law. I mean, that's that's certainly uh, uh, questionable, but it, but she does try to answer it. Sam, your thoughts on this one?
4: Look, the, the fact of the matter is, rightly or wrongly, abortion is not a principal issue in next Tuesday's election. People are concerned about the price of gas, the price of food, uh, the uh, the border. Um, You know, Stacey ran to the left in the second race, and unfortunately for Stacey, the crime issue has made that a
1: real mistake. Michael Thurman, if you don't mind, I want to ask you to start us off on another moment during the debate. And this is one of those moments that did not work in Stacey Abrams' favor, I think many people uh, would say. The subject of law enforcement, who's going to be tougher in uh, dealing with crime, uh, came up. And uh, Brian Kemp starts this conversation by defending the way in which he has um, dealt with, especially gang crime. And then Abrams responds. Let's listen, Mike Thurman.
6: I knew there was a gang problem. And that's why I ran with a, uh, a very straightforward agenda to create a gang task force at the Georgia Bureau of Investigation to join with the locals to help them in prosecution and locking up gang members.
0: Under his four years, violent crime has gone up. Gun violence has gone up. Guns are the number one killer of our children. We have the ninth highest gun violence rate in the nation. Family violence with guns has gone up 18% under this governor. And his response was to weaken gun laws in the state of Georgia and eliminate a background check.
1: All right, so let me stop for a moment. That's not the bite, Mike Thurman, that I really wanted you to hear, although it does set the stage for the soundbite. Um, let's listen uh, to the soundbite uh, Natalie called violent crime. And again, we hear uh, Kemp uh, first.
6: Men and women in law enforcement know who is going to be with them, who has had their back and will continue to have their back, and that is me. And that's why we have the endorsement of 107 sheriffs around the state.
0: As I've pointed out before, I'm not a member of the good old boys club. So no, I don't have 107 sheriffs who want to be able to take black people off the streets, who want to be able to go without accountability. I don't believe every sheriff wants that. But I do know that we need a governor who believes in both defending law enforcement, also, but also defending the people of Georgia.
1: All right, sorry it took longer to get to, but Michael Thurman, there's going to be a lot of talk about Stacey Abrams saying 107 sheriffs who want to take, quote, black people off the streets. She tried to pull back from that, but it's not a great moment for her, Michael.
5: It it creates a real challenge, and really, though, I think the lesson for Democrats uh, coming out of this election, and we kind of expected it going in, is that we have to get a consistent and coherent message on crime, and particularly uh, crime that is impacting uh, African Americans. Uh, we have to make it clear, as Democrats are doing all across this country, some are, that we support law enforcement, uh, that we will do everything we can to invest in the resources needed to protect law-abiding citizens. That's just the reality of, that I face every day. Uh, as the CEO of DeKalb County, it's one of the, it's a plague that's uh, hurting our community. And to be honest with you, though, Bill, uh, relaxing uh, gun laws, if you talk to law enforcement, when you talk to the men and women in uniform uh, in DeKalb and around this country, they don't want it to, to be easier for criminals, not law-abiding citizens, but for criminals and, 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 and gang members to get access, unfortunately. Uh, our law enforcement, not just in the cap but in this state, all across this nation are being outgunned, and so what we have to do is come up with a coherent, hopefully bipartisan strategy not to take guns away from law-abiding citizens but to make it much more difficult for people, bad people, bad men and women who seek to do harm for getting access to guns that they use to murder and kill innocent citizens that I Patricia. Think, Was the response?
1: I apologize. I'm really sorry, Uh, my Patricia.
2: I think that is the exact same answer that we have been hearing from so many local leaders around the state. Um, I'll tell you who's a really interesting example is Fannie Willis. Fannie Willis has been a real partner to Republicans on their anti-gang efforts. She calls gang members her frequent flyers—people who continue to get arrested for violent crimes. Um, and uh, need to, she said she needed stronger um, sentencing guidelines to keep people behind bars who need to be there. But she said it's a small piece of her piece of the population that's creating a huge amount of this crime throughout the state. At the same time, she and law enforcement in Atlanta have practically begged the legislature not to expand um, gun access, especially that bill that Governor Kemp signed and the legislature passed. That they call constitutional carry. It eliminates the permit um, to carry a concealed firearm here in the state. Um, They said that is just, you know, I think Georgians see this as one big piece, kind of crime, and guns as a part of that. Um, Republicans siphon that off as being totally, Mm -hmm. a totally separate issue. Law enforcement and local leaders do not agree with that. At the same time, Georgians are terrified in a lot of cases of the street crime. In their neighborhoods and they're looking for a solution to that as well and they want to support their police um, but Stacey Abrams answer I think also revealed a real tension on the left between talking about public safety and criminal justice and she has struggled with that language throughout this campaign and I'm not at all surprised that that was her answer last night
1: Sam Owens you uh, know listening to Michael Thurman's answer that Democrats have to find a stronger message on dealing with crime. Um, He's not talking about what's going to happen in the next eight days, because it's a little late to suddenly find your voice on an issue like that. It seems to me uh, it feels like Thurman is pointing the way toward 2024. Well,
4: I mean, like many areas, uh, Mike Mike is 100 percent correct. You know, the the fact of the matter is you need to differentiate between the violent criminals that keep showing up at the jail from those individuals uh that would properly gain through the state's criminal justice reforms of the last uh decade. Um Stacy's correct that she's not a good old boy. Um I don't see that as a negative. It was her response after that, which was an unforced error. Um, We need to be both for criminal justice reform and tough on those individuals that want to rotate in and out of the prison and uh, disregard the safety of our citizens. Um, I I think there's a rational place, as Mike said, to do that. Uh, but that seems to be very difficult politically.
1: So, Karen, let me offer an alternative take on Stacey Abrams' comment, which struck so many people as wrong. At this stage in the race, is it possible that Abrams recognizes that her biggest challenge is is turning out more and more black voters who are going to line up with her? And is there a way in which that message was specifically especially for black men who, according to all the polls, have not been there in terms of uh, supporting Abrams coming up. So it seemed like an unforced error to many, many people. But was she targeting black voters particularly with that message?
3: Well, I think with these debate period, you definitely want to continue to message and shore up your base. You've got to turn them out. Um, And I think that that message definitely does resonate with the Black community, especially when she pivoted and talked about her two brothers, right, that, you know, they would be targeted in different things. And that is certainly a way to speak to African-American men. And if you look at the early voting numbers right now, Blacks are about 30 percent of those who have turned out. They need in this next eight days more of them to turn out in early voting and to make sure they Mm -hmm. show up on Election Day. So, yes, perhaps it was a way to to speak to them about criminal justice and social justice. But I think, too, it's just kind of how it came across in the messaging that maybe that's where we're picking up on and hearing that differently.
1: Mike, you want
5: to respond? Well, it is beyond the politics or the next general election or the election after that. Uh, When you sit, as I do, and see the carnage of the people who are being killed, on an ongoing basis i don't believe bill that the founding fathers intended for the second amendment to protect uh, the right of criminals murderers to get access to guns to use to terrorize and rob and steal i think there is as sam mentioned a, a dichotomy between protecting the right of law-abiding citizens and passing laws that give criminals Greater access to these high power weapons, 16 and 17 years old, that terrorize in schools and communities. It's just insanity and it has to stop.
1: Um, we do need uh, one fact check because I just got an email from a listener. Um, Stacey Edwards says that uh, George is number one for gun violence. Um, the listener suggests that's not his understanding. FBI figures show is down a little lower. Um, I suppose we, let's see if we, will fact check that ourselves. But one way or the other, we know gun violence is a huge issue in this campaign. Patricia, I want to play one last soundbite from this debate, and then uh, we'll move on to other subjects. And that is the gun exchange, uh, because that was another crucial moment for both candidates, I think, in this debate. Again, Kemp starts. Um, he contends in this soundbite that really, what he calls constitutional carry, uh, is there's nothing new in this law. It doesn't change in any way who can and cannot get a gun. And then Abrams responds. So Patricia, let's listen.
6: The law is still the same that's out there. And all I'm doing is giving people the ability, if they would like to, to conceal carry, to protect themselves, their property, and their families.
0: I believe in making sure we can protect the Second Amendment and protect second graders. And Mr. Kemp apparently doesn't understand the gun laws in Georgia. Georgia had a background check that was part of the concealed carry permit law. 5,000 people were denied access to concealed carry permits because they went through that process. We are a state that does not have a waiting period, which is why a young man was able to secure a weapon and kill six Asian women in three different locations in less than two hours. Patricia, your thoughts? Yeah, so they're both technically accurate. Um, the
2: constitutional carry law did not expand who can carry a weapon legally or where they can carry it. But Abrams is right in that the permitting process tells you who's legal every five years. And last year more than five thousand people were caught up in that and said, Whoops you're not legal. A big portion of that was whether they had been receiving mental health treatment. Um, A portion of that was expanded in the mental health bill. Um, But if you're not requiring a permit every five years, you really don't know who shouldn't be having those guns until they've already committed a crime with that gun. And an investigation would reveal after the fact, oh, whoops, this person actually shouldn't have had that gun. So I think, Abrams, um, that's a big piece of that bill that Georgians said they did not like. It makes them feel more um, under threat from people who should not have weapons. And everybody agrees there's a chunk of people who shouldn't have them in the first place.
1: But, Sam, um, Patricia made a good point in that, um, you know, Democrats certainly see gun violence and the easy access to guns as an issue, they think. Is important in this campaign. Um, but as you've pointed out, it's the economy that's driving most people out to the polls. And even though many voters say crime is a top issue, uh, they're not certain, apparently, that, it, that changing the laws in Georgia are the answer to that. Uh, otherwise, you would think perhaps that um, Abrams would be making a little more progress, at least according to what the polls show right now.
4: Well, clearly, she she hasn't made progress. Um, And her comment that the polls are certainly wrong just isn't constructive either. Um, We also have an issue in Georgia, frankly, that hasn't come up in this campaign with regard to folks that uh, have mental health issues and should uh, lose the right to have weapons. Uh, There have been attempts to strengthen that law in the past, and they have failed every time. Um, It's a problem. There's no question about it. All
1: right. Well, we've got to get to our first break. But again, I I want to say just I'm so impressed with the fact that we had a substantive debate uh, last night. Uh, You may like one candidate over the other. You may recognize that each candidate Uh, at times dissembled in terms of the answers they gave or avoided an answer. But I think by the end of that hour, you had a pretty clear idea of where each candidate would take the state in the future. And again, just as we go to the break, congratulations, Channel 2, for a terrific job. We'll be back with more in just a moment.
2: Thanks for listening to Political Rewind.
1: Sam Olens, Michael Thurman, Karen Owen, and Patricia Murphy join me for today's Political Rewind. Um, Patricia, so f- last Friday, former President Obama held a big rally uh, in Atlanta uh, for Raphael Warnock and Stacey Abrams. Um, the question becomes, at this stage in the race, a rally like that is really about ginning up uh, turnout, Yes.
2: Definitely. We are way past the persuasion phase of this election, and we are heavy into the motivation phase. And uh, I think um, Obama has just a unique quality in that he can both energize and settle down Democrats at the same time. Democrats, you really feel kind of freaking out a little bit in this state, saying, oh, no, what if we don't? when? What if we don't repeat this again? Um, he's able to say, listen, democracy is a long-term commitment. This is not a vote and you see re- results immediately, but you have to go vote. And so he um, he has that ability with Democratic voters. So I think there's nobody else in the country who would have been a bigger help to motivate voters for Democrats to get to the polls, to cast their votes early, and to be excited about it and to remember why they're Democrats, and to remember why it's important to get out there and cast your ballot, even if you don't see the results overnight. And so that was his goal in that um, in that speech with Abrams. He had the entire, just about the entire ticket with him on stage as well. Democrats need that energy for every single race on the ballot, including those state lawmakers. And they had some state lawmakers down there as well who are in the district. So um, I think it's it's exactly what Democrats needed. They don't need Joe Biden around. He's obviously not popular, but Barack Obama is still extremely popular with the Democratic base. And they were, um, I think, fortunate to get him in in that time.
1: Karen, uh, 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 former President Obama made the point uh, that many Democrats have: this is democracy is at stake. Uh, we've got to uh, uh, get out of office and move beyond the election deniers that uh, are populating the Republican Party uh, these days. But I want to turn to Herschel Walker's response uh, to the Obama uh, visit. I, it was, I, from my point of view, it was an an odd way to deal with a former president and the first African-American president in the country. He he kind of swaggered. He said, get Obama out of here unless he wants to come down here and run for Senate, and I can beat him too. And then he said, Obama don't pay no taxes here. Obama got that big house, and he has a million dollars in housekeepers and all that, yet we're here trying to buy groceries. I It, it just struck me as an odd way to deal with, again, the first black American president.
3: Well, and I think he didn't have a great response, right? He didn't really know how to handle that piece of the driving out the African-American vote, which he does need some of the African-American turnout and support. So how do you kind of reconcile that with someone who is extremely popular amongst African-American voters in this state who still you know, want to hear him and, and get energized by him. So I think it was a, a definitely a blunder in how Walker did not handle it well. And, and why would you say something about the former president coming into the Senate race? I mean, there's other ways maybe you could have turned on that or even spoken about um, how typically presidents, former presidents are not involved in campaigning at this juncture. And yet we do have now, more of those former presidents involved, which is just a sheer change in our national landscape of politics.
1: Michael?
5: I have no words <laughs> 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 really to respond guess- to that. It was just a horrible, ill advised response. That was, a, if you're looking for unforced errors, that was one, but I'll stop there because I choose not to speak further on that
1: subject. Okay. I, I understand that completely. Sa- Sam Olins, you're welcome to weigh in on that. But I'd also like to point out that um, uh, uh, Brian, Brian, Kemp had, Brian Kemp has some big names coming into the state. Tomorrow, former Vice President Mike Pence will be here uh, with him. And, and I'm not sure, maybe uh, Patricia can clarify this for us, but he's going to be up in uh, uh, Kemp territory with Kemp. And I'm not sure whether wa- um, Walker's involved in this. First of all, Patricia, is, is uh, Pence only campaigning for uh, Brian Kemp, as far as you know? Will Wa- uh, Walker be there, too? We do
2: not expect Herschel Walker to be with Kemp and um, Vice President Pence. Um, we have not seen Governor Kemp and Herschel Walker on the same stage at a rally yet. That is by design, I can tell you, that is not an accident. So I I don't expect Tosha Walker to be with the vice president. The vice president may announce at some later date that he's going to peel off and also do an event for Walker, but we certainly haven't heard about that yet.
1: Okay. Thank you. Thank you for... So, Sam (laughs) Mullins, what's the value and the power of a former vice president, especially one who insisted, as Brian Kemp did, on certifying the results of the 2020 election coming in for Kemp at this stage? Sam?
4: Uh, Minimal. Um, I I think that was uh, really good two, three months ago, uh, but now it it doesn't have a lot of effect. I mean, let's face it, Brian's uh, riding high with regard to uh, the CEO's comment. uh, Look, if there's one thing we've learned in this campaign for U.S. Senate is nothing that Herschel Walker says has an effect on the polling. Uh, We've seen that over and (laughs) over again.
1: Um, all right. Uh, we will watch how all this unfolds uh, this week. Um, I want to turn—well, f- f- actually, Michael Thurman, you grew up in Athens, Georgia. And so you followed uh, Vince Dooley from the time you were a little boy. And, and I want to talk about him a- as a, a legend in Georgia, but, but also the political side of this. It's, it's interesting— That just a week or so before Vince Dooley died, uh, uh, the uh, Walker campaign released the the right-into-the-camera commercial in which uh, Vince Dooley sings Walker's praises. So it's both about a personal story of a great, great Georgia football uh, man and the political side of this. Uh, Mike Thurman?
4: Well, first, uh,
5: great man, great coach. uh, great humanitarian, and I'll I'll talk to that. Uh, He will be remembered for many things, but he was the first Georgia coach to to extend uh, scholarships to black players. Uh, Three of the first five African-American football players to play at Georgia were my classmates at Clark Central High School, Horace King, Clarence Pope, and Richard Appleby. Uh, He literally changed the face. Of Georgia athletics, and he should always be celebrated and remembered. I was at an event uh, just this past year where we celebrated the 50th anniversary of Coach Dooley's decision to integrate Georgia football. But when we were out on the field Saturday night to play Tennessee, and you see the African Americans uh, dressed in red and black, remember of all the things Coach did, he had the courage to do what no other coach had done in the history of this game uh, in Athens at the university. But the thing that I remember most personally, I got a chance, you know, I grew up in Athens. I was a legislator. Uh, Coach Dula gave me a personal tour of his beloved garden there at his home. Uh, He was a dedicated uh, horticulturalist. And finally, uh, he was a global humanitarian, uh, the uh, LEAD program, Global LEAD. Uh, He extended a scholarship to my daughter, and she was 17, 18 years old, so she could spend five weeks in South Africa. He and Barbara Dooley, who were friends, uh, invested large sums of money to give young people the opportunity to travel all over this world to learn about other cultures, and his favorite location was South Africa. So I remember him as an humanitarian, uh, horticulturalist, someone I admired. I question the endorsement of Hershey, but he loves all his football players, so nobody should be surprised. Uh, but he has earned our accolades and breath from a life well lived.
1: So I'm really glad that Michael was able to make that personal statement about Vince Dooley, because that's obviously the first way we are going to. Re- many people are going to remember. But Karen, there is a political side to this. He was a Trump supporter. He endorsed Trump, and then this commercial. Uh, in which he sings Herschel's praises and really answers some of the criticisms of Herschel Walker, that he's not ready in the commercial, Dooley says, he takes on any challenge and succeeds. And I just wonder what you think the power of that commercial is uh, moving forward and whether his passing in some way magnifies the impact of that commercial, or does it now come off the air? How do you deal with that if you're the Walker campaign?
3: So first I will say as a graduate of the University of Georgia, Vince Julie definitely had an impact on my life and all of my sporting adventures that I saw in Athens. And he was a DGD, absolutely, (laughs) for those out there who will know that. Um, I will say, though, with the political piece, though, that this ad was not the first time Vince Dooley had spoken on behalf of Herschel Walker. He had been at rallies before during the primary season and introduced Herschel, had talked about how he had recruited Herschel to play at the Bulldogs, how, you know, even Walker got on stage and talked about how, you know, Coach Dooley was like his second father. So there was a real relationship between them. So it's not surprising that coach Julie cut the ad for Walker and wanted to really talk about who he was right. as a person as going forward. I think it's probably the Walker campaign's judgment to keep it on the air. If anything, it just kind of reinforces to the bulldog nation that this was the Heisman trophy winner. You can go out and support him. The coach supported him, but for those, and there's so many in the state of Georgia who do not know Herschel Walker from the 1980 national championship class. And this is not going to matter to them. It's not going to resonate. But for a few, it may.
2: Yeah, so the Dooley family has told the Walker campaign that they can continue to run that ad if they'd like to. So they've given their permission for that to happen. Um, I think it's interesting also that Coach Dooley is also very supportive of Governor Kemp. He's one of the few mm-hmm. Georgians in the state who's managed to sort of navigate the Trump and non-Trump world's um, very effectively. He just seems to have known absolutely everybody. Um, But I agree with Karen. Um, I think especially for women, for people who weren't football fans. um, uh, I mean, he he was obviously a wonderful humanitarian and a great coach. Herschel Walker was an amazing football player, but that accolade has its limits. And right now, it has its limits, even with some Georgia voters and some Georgia Republicans, because of everything else that has happened in his life since he was an amazing football player at the University of Georgia. And I think that um, duly speaking to his character was what was most important in that ad, because it's really all Herschel Walker has in this race. It's his argument about what his character is versus what. Um, the Democrats say it is, what police reports say it is, um, and then also the fact that he's a Republican. So uh, that will nationalize this race immediately. So um, the football piece, I have found it a little bit tiresome after a while of how many people keep tweeting about University of Georgia and football, blah, blah. You know, there's a whole lot more to this race than that. And I think that's why he is not leading in the polls is because he hasn't pushed it beyond his qualifications on the football field and as a Republican.
1: Yeah, and hence what we're seeing is a trend toward potentially split-ticket voting, Uh, a vote for Brian Kemp, but a vote for uh, Raphael Warnock, and we'll see how that plays out uh, next Tuesday night. All right, let's get to our final break of the show. Back with more uh, in just a moment. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and
6: faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Sam Olins, um, I want to turn to you first on the uh, question of the attack, the horrendous attack on Paul Pelosi in San Francisco on Friday. Um, Apparently, although police, law enforcement is being very careful about describing motives in this, uh, the attacker clearly has been a a guy who's a QAnon conspiracy uh, uh, person. And um, it obviously has raised this question of just what has happened to us in this country in terms of how... We are dealing with good versus evil, the way people now see uh, politics. Sam?
4: Well, in in some ways, that's also uh, similar to the discussion, this campaign and the last campaign, differentiating uh, love of party versus love of integrity um, and where we've gone off the rails. Um, It it should not matter whether you're a Republican, Democrat, or Socialist, or Libertarian. Um, This type of act uh, is inexcusable, should never occur. Um, And frankly, far too few Republican leaders have gone on social media to uh, attack what happened to uh, Paul Pelosi. I also, frankly, find it troubling that she didn't have greater security in her house because there certainly was a long period of threats. Uh, It seems to me all those folks in leadership at this given time need that security where you don't want any of them injured. Um, I found it troubling that one of my quote-unquote friends on social media spread one of those ridiculous conspiracies, um, Discounting the QAnon background, Um, and I I actually posted, uh, you know, I'm disappointed in you. There's no place for this. Um, The long and short of it is he deleted the post, but that's one person. We need a whole discussion after November 8th on how we treat uh, the public forum and, frankly, how poorly it's being administered and handled at this time.
1: That's exactly right. I mean, and and, uh, certainly on this show, we're going to do uh, something with that after the elections. Michael Thurman, you're the one uh, currently elected official on the panel today. I wonder how you view uh, uh, this attack and and all of the concerns uh, moving forward about how public officials need protection uh, as the climate continues to get more and more uh, difficult.
5: Well, I'm concerned about the safety of my family, particularly my wife. And, you know, I've been confronted by people, not physically attacked, but people angry uh, for whatever reason they may be. And, you know, it's reprehensible. And we have to, as elected officials, those who uh, view these conspiracy theorists and, you know, and make these claims and demonize opposition – some on the left, but unfortunately, most of it's on the right these days. This is dangerous, and we have to stop. Uh, I had lunch with Governor Barnes a couple of weeks ago, and I, one thing we talked about, I told him, I think politics has passed me by Bill. I, I can't even relate to what I see today in terms of the, just the personal attacks and the hatred and the demonization. It 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 gives you pause about staying in this business, to be quite honest
3: with
1: you. Oh. That's an awful thing to hear. Karen?
3: I was just going to say these attacks, you know, either party doing this is, as Sam mentioned, inexcusable. And it's one of those things here on the college level that I'm focused on having a civil dialogue and teaching students how important to see a human. They can have a differing opinion, but they are a human with that their life values. And that is a value. And so therefore, you can... Have an argument and discussion on the issue, but not call names or personally attack people. And I think that is what is the sad state of our politics now is we have gone into the gutter where we're name calling and we're vilifying people instead of seeing the value of humans as humans and that they can have a differing opinion and we can then go into the square and debate that out to find what's best for our Democratic Republic. So I agree with Sam on the fact that after November 8th, we really need to see leaders talk about civility and changing politics.
1: Patricia, you and I both spent a lot of time on Capitol Hill. You worked on Capitol Hill, then you were a journalist covering events on Capitol Hill. I was up there over many years, too. And so both of us watched as, um, you know, Republicans and Democrats uh, always took issue with one another, but they were able to work with each other in collegial, bipartisan ways on many issues. And both of us saw that change. Uh, First, in terms of increasingly harsh rhetoric, uh, but more recently, in terms of this entrenchment on both sides, uh, in which, as I said before, and particularly coming from the right, uh, Democrats are not just people with different ideas. They are evil forces. And it's that sort of thing that we have to imagine, leads to an attack like the one on Paul Pelosi.
2: Yeah, so I think a lot of this also has to do with the campaign. Modern campaigning has really now been designed to weaponize and dehumanize and um, destroy the opponent. So when you're, you're left now with these leaders, whoever's elected, people are like, ugh. I don't even support that person. Um, also, at the same time, social media intensifies all of that anger. It also um, exponentially expands the amount of misinformation that people can get and go on to if they, it sounds like something they would agree with, even if it's totally false. So you've got people being just drowned in lies that they believe, and then they hate the person on the other end of that lie, because who would do something like that, you know? Nobody, actually. It turns out that people believe that, and then they become radicalized online. Um, and I don't think we can wait until after the election to talk about this because we have an election coming up where election workers are under threat, leaders are under threat, candidates are under threat. And so this, is this to me, is a live, dangerous issue, as we saw, and it takes leadership, um, like Sam Olin said, leadership from people inside the state and around the country to say this is totally wrong and unacceptable. Um, I think also the assassination attempt on Brett Kavanaugh was equally terrifying that somebody could just show up to his house with a gun. Um, Luckily, he was stopped. Um, It's mostly on the right, but it's not entirely on the right that these threats are coming from. And it's just a very dangerous environment that feels a lot like kind of the Kennedy, Dr. King era when we really lost some important leaders in the process.
1: Well, one of the things we're going to watch on this show in the week ahead is how, you know, we've already heard from Michael Thurman that there's a, there's a, 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 a portion of people on the right who are trying to find a way to uh, uh, de-emphasize the importance of what happened there, who are trying to change the scenario to some extent, or Sam Olin's talked about that as well. Sam, we have two minutes left. But I know you are going to be watching very closely the arguments in the Supreme Court today where the University of North Carolina and Harvard are in court trying to defend their uh, affirmative action programs, and that could be one of the most significant cases the court takes up this session. We'll talk about it more tomorrow, but give us your very quick thoughts on what this all means.
4: Well, the the issue here is whether colleges can take into account different statistics, different Uh, methodologies to have a diverse group of students to hopefully then have a better overall group of students. The thought is with the court being so conservative that this is the best shot conservatives have had in a long time for this change. Uh, Frankly, I think most of us have learned years ago that diversity makes us all stronger and uh, this is gonna be a very important decision.
1: All right. Um, the court will take that up this morning. Um, you know, if you if you uh, Google it, you can listen to that argument. Find the, the uh, link to where you can hear the arguments. And we will talk about it on tomorrow's uh, Political Rewind. We are completely out of time. I want another hour. I don't get it. Uh, so I do have time to thank you, Karen Owen, Michael Thurman, Sam Olins, and Patricia Murphy for a wonderful conversation uh, today. Thank you for being so smart in dealing with the issues that we discussed. That's it. We're out of time for today's show. Back again with a brand new show tomorrow. I'm Bill Nigat. Take care. Stay healthy. Go out and get a flu shot. The flu is really a problem right now. And maybe get a COVID booster too. See you all tomorrow.